This sermon is titled Faith and Science, Part 5, Origin of the Species. Be enriched as you listen. All right. You know, we've been uh, doing a rather unusual uh, series of sermons on faith and science. Now, uh, some people like it because... Uh, in the process of doing this series, we are addressing some difficult things, some questions that people may have had, and we're able to answer those questions. But for some, uh, I know it's, uh, it's a little difficult you know, to come and sit in church, and then you're listening to a lot of uh, science information. Uh, it's not what we normally do, uh, but uh, as part of this series uh, of on faith and science, uh, we've had to uh, address some of those things. So, thankfully, today is the last message in this series. Uh, it's, it's the fifth uh, sermon in this series, and this is the last one. It's, we're going to wrap up with this. Now, in case uh, you miss any of the previous sermons, you're always welcome to go to our church website, and you can either watch it or listen to it. Also, you know, keep it handy uh, the, the, just remember this, this URL. It's apcwo.org slash faith and science. Very simple to remember. apcwo.org slash faith and science. So if at any point you know, you, you're in a conversation with somebody, they ask you certain questions, either about the origin of the, of the cosmos or talking about any of these things about the Genesis account of creation or even about things that we're going to talk about today. You know, if you can just point them to this URL, say, go here. There are things that you can listen to. Uh, they will probably address your questions. You know, that's a simple way of just sharing information. Of course, if you uh, understand these things, you can always uh, make use of them as you meet people, as you talk to people, and engage with people. So today, in this last sermon in this series, again, there's going to be up front, in the front part of this message, there is going to be a lot of science information, so please bear with me if that's not what you like. Um, you know, just hold on to it, or just uh, stay with us, uh, but then there's going to be a response to uh, that information, and then, of course, we will close by saying or sharing what the Scriptures have to say. So, uh, in, in the first part of this message, we talked about can science explain it all? Can science explain everything? And uh, we pointed out that there are those big questions of life about our origin, about our identity, about our purpose, about um, our morality, how do we live, and also about our destiny. These are questions that science doesn't have answers for. And we need to look to the Scriptures, we need to look to the Bible, and that's where we find these answers. We also, in the second message in the series, we talked about the six days of creation, uh, the, six, sorry, the six days of Genesis. Uh, in, the, in the third message, we talked about the origins of the cosmos. How did this universe come into existence? And then a response to that. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about Creator God. What is the evidence for God, for the existence, or for the for the fact that God is uh, the uncreated creator. So we talked about that. Today, we're going to talk about the origin of the species, the origin of the species. So we are going to look at a little bit about 
you know, what science presents, and I say science, uh, most scientists would present or attempt as an, as, a, as an answer to this question, where did life come from? How did life begin on the earth? Where did we come from as humans? And how did, how did life come into uh, being here on earth? And so we're going to look at what modern evolution theory presents to us as, uh, 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 as their response. And, so, and then we're going to examine that, ask questions in response. You know, does scientific evidence actually point to evolution instead of creation? The way the Bible says everything came into existence. And you know, one of the things is that a lot of this information is being presented in our in schools and colleges and uh, young people just assume that all this is fact and they just believe it and i remember in sixth grade reading this these kinds of things in our biology textbook and you know at least at that you know shortly thereafter i came to know the word of god and understood you know what the bible had to say but imagine so many people just accepting so much of this information as though it was scientific fact when actually it's unproven theory that's all it is it's an hypothesis it is something uh, scientists would imagine so what would the uh, evolutionary process or the way life came into being how would it how would the storyline go you know it all begins with uh, you know way back in time almost four billion years ago there was this earth's environment uh, that was uh, filled with methane and ammonia and carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide and hydrogen water vapor. That was the environment that was called a reducing atmosphere, meaning there was no oxygen existing at that time. And rain coming in uh, caused all of these things to come into uh, the uh, 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 into what it was was known as or what is known as a primordial soup. So uh, initially. Uh, simple organic compounds like monomers and then sub subsequently complex uh, organic compounds, polymers came in uh, to being. And then from there, somehow in, in this mixture, this primordial soup, somehow from this, uh, from this complex mix of inorganic and organic compounds that existed, very important organic molecules first the RNA or the ribonucleic acid, which is a single-stranded molecule uh, with a backbone of phosphate and sugar ribose was formed. And somehow from there, the DNA, the deoxyribonucleic acid was formed. And from there, eventually came, gave, uh, rose up the initial life forms the, uh, known as the microbes, and subsequently these single-celled uh, single microbes grouped together to form multicellular, uh, you could say, uh, first animals known as sponges, and then from there, this, you know, the evolution takes place. So microbes become back, uh, become multi-celled organisms become invertebrates and then come into being vertebrates and then fish and amphibians and reptiles and mammals, uh, birds and 
primates and other mammals and apes and eventually human beings. So that's the storyline. Meaning somehow from a chemical, a mixture of chemicals, life emerged and we have life as it is known today. And so by definition, evolutionary biology will tell us by definition, this is what defines life. Three important characteristics. That is, an organism has the biochemical metabolism, that is the ability to process energy. Secondly, it stores genetic information. And thirdly, it's able to replicate itself. This genetic information is able, it's, it's transmitted to its descendants, and then variations take place, uh, mutations and recombinations occur, to giving rise to uh, different kinds of descendants. So basically, they have the ability to process energy, they have the ability to store information, and they have the ability to transmit, transmit information. This is what a living being or organism is characterized by. So, so that's the theory from a prebiotic primordial soup of chemicals comes something amazing like you and me. But we have serious questions. And I just want to highlight six questions that you and I can ask in response to a theory like this. First of all, was there a transition from prebiotic to biotic life? How did this happen? So that's a huge leap of faith. Even if there was this prebiotic soup or a primordial soup of chemicals, inorganic and organic molecules, how did that transition into life as we know it? And all of this, uh, you know, the, the probability of these things happening is so highly, uh, is, is, is highly difficult. If life originated from this absolute chance and random process to transition from uh, a prebiotic to a biotic or a, 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 to, to, from non-life to life, how did, did these set of chemicals self-organize and become a self-replicating system that we know that is there in human life. So this is the first big question. And, and, and the fact is this, the scientists themselves see something like this, a transition like this, as highly improbable. One uh, scientist, you know, just the fact that there are uh, two... For, uh, for a living organism, the, the enzymes, the, the protein molecules, the enzymes in there are so numerous. Example, for a single-celled bacterium, about 2,000 enzymes come together in, in one cell, in one place. And the probability that these protein molecules could assemble all together at the same place, at the same time, to form one single bacterium. The probability is 1 in 10 raised to 40,000. Now keep in mind, one, a probability of 1 in 10 raised to 50 
is considered impossible. But just for the proteins required to form one bacteria, one bacterium, one cell, about 2,000 enzymes coming together, the probability of that happening is 1 in 10 raised to 40,000, meaning it's impossible. Just that simple thing. And so there is the law of biogenesis that spontaneous generation of life from non-life has never been observed. All observations indicate life comes only from life. So, Fred Hoyle, who himself is an atheist, makes this statement. He says, the spontaneous emergence of life happening on the earth is as likely as a tornado sweeping through a junkyard and assembling a Boeing 747 out of that. The second question we need to ask is, where did intelligence for the genetic information come from? So we understand that there is genetic information. There is, in our genes, we are carrying information. And uh, this information, in our genes, we are storing, we are transmitting, we are processing information. Where did this come from? Now, if you look at just this set of genetic code, a string of characters represented by these four letters, A, T, G, and C. And now this looks all random, but it is actually representing part of the sequence of genetic code for an RNA, polymerase. And then right beneath it, you also see binary code in ASCII, ASCII code. It's just part of a sentence. In fact, it's the first words of the American Declaration of Independence when in the course of human events. Now, it's code, but it has meaning. Just as the genetic code has meaning, so also the binary code beneath it has meaning. It's part of a sentence. Now here's the point. The ASCII code is understood because there is a programmer. Otherwise it means nothing. And therefore, the genetic code came into existence because there was an intelligent creator putting it together inside the cell, enabling the cell to do what it has to do. It could not have just happened by existence. The molecules necessary for life in the DNA, the RNA, the proteins, are so incredibly complex that to think that they would have just assembled themselves together is simply observed. The third question that we can ask is this. Has macroevolution ever been obs observed 
through natural selection or mutations or otherwise. Now, when we say macroevolution, what we're meaning is that one form of life changes into something more complex, becomes something more complex. Now, natural selection and mutation, genetic mutation, can only produce minor changes, like change in the shape or the color, uh, or minor alterations. Adaptations produce minor changes which are not transmittable. But macroevolution, which for example, you see in this, uh, this next picture, for a reptile to become a bird, that's a macroevolution. That has never been observed. And there are just huge gaps that are assumed that one form suddenly changed to something else. But that's actually a big gap that has never been seen and never been proven. So, for these billions of intermediary transitions from bacteria to a human being, macroevolution has never been observed and can never be shown. Never. So natural selection can explain the survival of the fittest. It does not explain the origin of the fittest. It can... It does not, natural selection does not produce these macro-evolutions uh, or macro-evolution that we would like to see or they say took place. Similarly, mutations. They only create genetic variations, but they never produce a more complex form of life. So, mutations or natural processes can never produce new organs that are complex, like the eye, or the ear, or the brain. Take, for example, the human brain, the adult human brain. Just the human brain contains about 10 raised to the power of 14. That 100,000 billion connections right here in our brain. Just in our human brain. And that macroevolution has never produced. Or the human heart, a pump that just keeps working day in and day out. Or the en entire length of, a of the person, you know, 75, 80, however long they live, just keeps working. It's an amazing piece of engineering marvel. So mutations or natural processes never produce higher and more complex organs never seem to produce. But what they would like us to believe is that microevolution plus time would result in macroevolution. But that equation is not true. To say that small change, give it millions of years, will eventually result in something big is not true. It's actually a logical fallacy, commonly known as bait and switch. It goes like this. You say a cow can jump over a fence, 
So give it a few billion years and some practice and it'll jump over the moon. That is never going to happen. The fourth question we can ask is that, or we can point to, is that evolutionary assumptions and big gaps in the evolutionary process remain unexplained. Like I said, there are these macroevolution gaps that have never been observed, never been proven, but simply assumed. And so in evolution theory, you will read phrases over and over again saying, it is possible that these chemicals all came together at the right moment, at the right uh, place to give rise to something else. Or it is believed to have, it is supposedly evolved, or somehow organized themselves. All of these require multiple leaps of faith to cross. And there are numerous such unexplained gaps and transitions in evolution theory. For example, the origin and evolution of sexual reproduction could never has never been explained. How did this key step in the evolution process of male and female repro reproductive cells come together for fertilization to happen and something else to come into existence. How, how did that whole thing come together? Never been explained. Last two points. Number five, fossil gaps have missing chains. So a common recourse to evolution theory is to point to fossils. And the way it's all been assembled is actually very haphazard because it's left to whoever found that fossil and based on what they, they observe to then come up with where it would be in the whole chain. But the fact remains that big gaps exist between forms of life. Starting from the very beginning, from the Cells without nuclei to cells with nuclei. How did the transition happen? There's a gap. Fossil links are missing between large groupings of plants, between single-cell forms of life, between invertebrates, among insects, in transition from invertebrates to vertebrates, between fish and amphibians, between amphibians and reptiles, between reptiles and mammals, and reptiles and birds, and uh, primates and other mammals, and between apes and other primates. And these are not just links. A link is one piece of a chain, but there are many links missing, which means there are huge chains missing in these fossil links. And it is well known, and these gaps would never be filled. And lastly, the question we ask is, worship team, please come. Does similarity point to a common ancestor or a common creator designer? What evolution theory is trying to convince us is that just because there is similarity across species and so on, the assumption they want us to embrace is 
We all had, we can all trace ourselves back to a common ancestor and that we emerged from that. But then, is the commonality pointing to a common ancestor or is this pointing to a common designer who is so efficient in the things he's done? So on the, on the diagram you see on one hand, the evolutionary tree supposes that all species came out from one common ancestor. But what we are saying is in creation, God created original kinds. And then variations took place in and among those kinds over time. So what if we point to a common creative designer instead of a common ancestor? Can wholly undirected processes such as natural selection and random mutations produce the intricate design-like structures and living systems? Can natural selection mimic the powers of a creator designer? Can the origin of life be explained purely by reference to material processes? It's only logical and probably more logical to attribute all these amazing things that we see in living cells, in living beings, to the work of a master creator designer. I want to close by just reading out scripture to us. This is what the Bible says on the origin of life. Genesis tells us this so clearly and so powerfully. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and desolate, emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 11, God said that the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit according to their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a third day. Verse 20, God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. 
Verse 24, God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock and crawling things and animals of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. God made the animals of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and everything that crawls on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every animal of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living person. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Psalm 104, verse 30. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Isaiah 42, 5. This is what God, the Lord, says. Who created the heavens and stretched them out? Who spread out the earth and its offspring? Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit? To those who walk in it. Last Revelation 4:11. Let's read all. Let's all read it together. Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Amen. want to request us to rise to our feet. This morning, we want to just look to God and say, Father, we acknowledge that we are, we are, you acknowledge as you're standing here, God, you are my creator, God. I'm not going to let anyone tell me otherwise. No one is going to convince me otherwise. There's a God in heaven who formed me, who made me fearfully and wonderfully. And I belong to Him. And is anyone here this morning, of those watching online, that perhaps you were confused and wondering about all of these things? Wondering, is it possible that really 
life could have originated from a big pool of chemicals and here I am. Want you to know very clearly, the Bible says that there's a God in heaven who created you, who made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. You're not a being that just came into existence through some random chance process. God designed you and He created you for a purpose. He wants to work in your life and He wants to work through your life. And all of us are here to live for the purpose of God. So as you stand here and as we sang, I want you to just pray and say, Lord, I yield myself to your purpose. There may be some here or some watching and you've never in your life said, Jesus, I am yours. I want to live for you. I want to follow your plan. I want to follow your purpose. If you've never done that, that this moment as we sing in your own heart, I invite you to pray and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to live for your plan. I want to live for your purpose, Lord. And you pray that prayer in your heart this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to just lead us. And let's each one of us take this few moments to connect with God and to say, Lord, I want to live for your purpose.
song I sing So much more than anything I need you more More than the air I breathe More than any song I could ever sing So much more than anything I need you more More than the air I breathe More than any song I could ever sing So much more than anything I need you Lord More than the air I breathe More than any song I could ever sing So much more than anything Jesus. Let's pray in the Spirit for a few moments. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just praise you. We worship you. We welcome your presence here, God. We welcome your presence. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to touch, to minister, to strengthen, to encourage hearts, to strengthen your people in this place, God. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just go ahead, just pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost for a few moments. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we welcome you, we welcome you, we welcome you, God. Oh, we welcome you, Jesus. We welcome your presence. Oh, we worship you, God. We worship you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. You bless, you strengthen, you empower your people, God. We thank you. We praise you. We magnify you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, God. Thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. We praise you. I'm just going to take a moment to pray right now. We're going to believe God for healing. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, he said, Whenever you're gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the power of the Lord Jesus. Because when we gather together in Jesus' name, the power of Jesus is present. His power is present here to heal. His power is present here to deliver. His power is present here to meet every need. We have gathered together in His name. And even as we pray right now, I want you to just agree with me and say, God, I receive. I receive what I came here for, my healing, my deliverance, my miracle. I just want you to pray with me. 
Uh, while we were just saying, I just felt, and I know this might seem a little minor, it might be a small thing, but somebody with pro your problem in your teeth and it's on your left side, just when you lay your hand there, is anyone here? You've got a problem in this side, on, on your left side, I think, yeah. So just put your hand there, okay. I see one, anybody else, just put your hand there. Just, you've got a problem here, you know, a tooth problem, the gum or in the bone there, just whatever the cause is, put your hand there. Any other condition, just place your hand on that part of your body, you want Jesus to heal you. And Lord, we thank you that you are our healer. And so in the mighty name of Jesus, I speak against sicknesses and diseases. I speak against things that are causing pain and discomfort in people's bodies. I command healing even to these tooth problems. I command healing to every sicknesses, every sickness, every disease in the name of Jesus Christ. Blood disorders, blood conditions be healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are our healer. And in the name of Jesus, I command healing. And even in this auditorium and those watching online, God, as they connect with this prayer, in the name of Jesus, that healing flow. In the name of Jesus, let bondages be broken. In Jesus' name, let people receive healing, deliverance right now. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, that you said, in my name, heal the sick. In my name, cast out demons. Set the captives free. We thank you for doing that today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about, I'm just sharing this with you so that you can invite your friends. We're going to talk about the mind, the mind, and uh, address from the Word of God how we can overcome challenges in our minds and how we can maintain a strong, healthy mindset, a biblical mindset, how we renew our minds and so on. And one of the reasons we are addressing this topic is, you know, having gone through the pandemic, come out, uh, and, and you would have seen these statistics, there's been a 25% increase in emotional problems, especially anxiety and depression especially among young people and women. Now, this is statistics. I'm not picking on any particular group. I'm just saying this is the information that's put out there. The World Health Organization, you know, they do these studies. And so, and so we're going to address this. And we're going to show from the Word of God how we can walk in victory, even the challenges we face in our minds. So I want you to take this opportunity to invite your friends, invite people, say, hey, come. And they can hear something from the Word of God that will bless them, strengthen them, and make a big difference in their lives. And of course, they can come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? So, go ahead, invite your friends. We're going to spend some time from the Word of God on this series on mind. We talk about the mind and mental health and how the Word of God empowers each of us to live victoriously in this area. Right? So we're going to close right now. Uh, if you need prayer, we'll be available here to meet with you personally and pray with you. Let's receive the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship 
of his Holy Spirit be with each of us. Enable us to live victoriously as overcomers, as more than conquerors. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcw.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.